Hello and welcome back to A Functional Approach with Dr. Jim Chaltis. I am Dr. Jim Chaltis and today I wanted to talk about some recent events that um, have happened and um, it involves um, a decline in um, mental health of um, somebody who I know um, that has led to some criminal behavior and um, imprisonment potentially. Um, I want to use that as a platform to discuss, you know, the the truly delicate nature of our neurology and um, how I see things in that particular case to potentially have gone wrong. Um, I do firmly believe that a lot of our psychology, right, our how we process and how we behave, um, quite often has a lot to do with underlying neurology, right? The actual functioning of the brain itself, you know, the status of brain inflammation or damage to particular areas of the brain and possibly underdevelopment of certain areas of the brain, right? Um, from childhood or, or what have you. So um, this is a bit of a somber piece today for me because, um, you know, this is somebody who I consider a friend and, um, he has some darkness in him and and it's really harmed people and it has um, harmed himself right he he might be looking at some significant prison time so without further ado um, I want to want to just kind of describe a little bit about um, keeping everybody anonymous of course but um, a little bit about what happened um, this is a, a fellow who does have a, a bit of a, a sordid past, a bit of a um, some darkness there, if you will. Um, you know, is trained as a psychotherapist, by the way. Um, knows all about psychology and and has um, really been on a path um, for a long time of kind of moderating and, and helping himself in, in a lot of different ways. Um, now, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Um, there was some kind of a mysterious, you know, um, I don't know if we want to call it an illness, but really that sleep was becoming more of an issue. Di you know, food and appetite was becoming a problem. Uh, weight loss, you know, he really, he really kind of felt like he was dying in a way. He said that out loud, like I might be dying. I don't know what to do. Um, and so, you know, we couldn't really find anything. He's not really a patient, um, but I kind of talked it out a little bit and there wasn't any really thing obvious going on. So one of the ways that they decided to manage it, he and his partner, was um, to use some um, THC, like cannabis concentrate, uh, of the type of medicine that's used in um, cancer, right? Like something like life-saving. <laughs> this is not recreational use of this drug or, or this medicine. This is extremely potent, high, you know, therapeutically dosed um, cannabis concentrate and uh, literally it would drop you or I if we were to try to launch into that so there's a way to kind of get into these things and a way to taper off of these things safely um, especially during cases of like very chronic illness and, and potentially lethal illness like cancer um, that's another topic there's some amazing um, evidence that, that, that has shown to really benefit cancer but um, I'll let that go so they that really did pull this fellow out of that uh, that whatever that kind of health spiral that he was in, but um, I can't deny the existence of it. 
in his case, right? Clinically, as I look at this case, um, kind of from a, a distance at least, um, you cannot deny somebody who is going through such massive metabolic turmoil that they're losing weight and they're, they're feeling like they're actually dying. Um, the brain takes a hit. The brain is a very delicate organ. Um, interestingly, it is our most important organ, um, but it happens to be an organ with the least amount of resilience. You know, uh, unlike a lot of other tissues that can repair and can, we have natural antioxidant reserves in, in these tissues to protect against these insults, the brain for some reason doesn't. And so when we get these huge diseases, let's say, or big inflammatory insults, or we get head injuries or something like that, the brain really does suffer. And um, if the brain is injured to a certain level, there's always a shadow there. there. That injury never quite goes away. I'll explain more about that in a minute. So backing up a year, a couple years, that's what this fellow was going through, and he did pull himself out of it. He was taking that really high-dose cannabis extract for approximately a year and a half, and ended up stopping abruptly for, for reasons that will become obvious in a second. So now, back up from today, three months, something like that, three or four months, I forget. And he was um, in LA and he said that he, I think he was doing some work with some homeless people or, or was down in an area where there was a lot of homeless. I wasn't clear on that. Um, he's known to do some philanthropy. Um, but he took his guard down, and, and what happened was this guy, you know, asked him for some help, but hey, around the corner, right? So he kind of lured him into an area where there was less people, and he was more vulnerable. And the next thing he knew, he got knocked out by getting hit in the head with a skateboard. So he was, he had a massive concussion, right? Um, knocked unconscious on the ground, and they kicked him in the ribs and broke many of his ribs. And so he, you know, was trying to recover from that. Um, but in talking to his partner, um, he never quite recovered from that. Uh, there was a growing sense of paranoia and anger and, you know, just manic behavior that started to kind of accumulate over the, the past several months. Um, that did become violent that became threatening uh, at times and um, the house was quite literally destroyed um, me and a few other fellows recently went out and helped recover this home and the amount of um, broken furniture and the carpet that had been ripped out and you know just garbage and 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 waste that was there was um, something that's hard to describe. Um, you could easily fill a living room, you know, six feet tall with what we had to pack up and haul out. So over a course of several months and looking back, actually, maybe a couple years, uh, there was this kind of steady and then, and then very accelerated decline in mental health um, after that concussion. Another thing that um, his partner told me about, about his head injuries was that after that concussion and things started to slip, um, he was becoming increasingly violent to himself in ways, you know, like um, bashing his head against the wall enough to break a hole in the wall. Um, those are going to keep going. Those are going to repeat those 
those brain injuries. You know, if once you have a concussion, you have a much, much more um, likely chance of, of sustaining another concussion with actually pretty small um, what hits to the head after that. You're, you're, I've talked in the past about these little immune cells in our brain called microglia. Microglia, my teacher calls them the chihuahuas with bazookas because once they activate, they don't stop and they've got bazookas and they kill everything in their path. Head injury, concussion, anybody who's ever been knocked out especially, um, they have primed microglia. A primed microglia is that chihuahua. It became a chihuahua status at that point and it is a touchy one and it's going to trigger at anything that it can trigger at. And certainly bashing your head into a wall sufficient enough to break the drywall, um, hopefully missing the stud behind that drywall, um, it, but that's enough. That's certainly enough to reactivate and re-inflame and re-concuss, right? So I understand the neurology behind what happened. It did end up with a call to the police. Um, my friend was fearful for her life, and the SWAT team was brought out, and he was brought to prison and is being held on some pretty serious charges. Um, this is crushing to me. Um, this is an example of somebody who needed a certain level of care and wasn't able to get that. And to everybody else's credit, the system's credit, this person might have slept into a, slipped into a place where he wasn't even willing to receive the, the care that was needed. What was needed was massive brain support. We needed to treat this like a brain injury and not like a criminal case, hopefully. Um, hopefully that could have been avoided, but uh, we need to turn down the microglia. And the nature of the microglia, once it's primed, once it's activated, is that it, it normally they migrate through the brain tissue. It, you know, we have those on purpose. There's, there's old dead cells that need cleaning. You know, you don't want tissue and proteins fragments, you know, clogging your neurons. And so we have these microglia and they wander through the tissue like an immune cell should. And they, they prune, they, they clean up, right? They, they keep our brain healthy. Now, when they sustain an injury, such as a head trauma, like being knocked out by a skateboard in an alley, um, they freeze in place and they never move again for the life of that person. They're just like a brain cell. A, a, a neuron lives for, with you the whole entire life of that person, and so does a microglia cell. And so once it's primed, M, it's called M1 prime, that's more of that inflammatory destructive priming, it freezes in place and it triggers on everything. And that includes food sensitivity reactions, chemical reactions, you know, anything that's gonna set you off, not sleeping correctly, um, this gentleman was also not sleeping, by the way, um, which is when a lot of the destruction happened in the home, middle of the night. Um, so, you know, the, the concept there is where was the injury, right? I'm not even sure. I didn't get that much detail about the case about where he was hit, how he hit. He might have hit his head on the cement as he fell. That would be a secondary injury to the skateboard, right? So when it comes to something like inhibiting violent tendencies. Now, I don't care who you are. I mean, I'm not a violent person. For some reason, every once in a while, a little violent thought does pass through my brain. I don't know. I, I, I think we have a darkness in us. <laughs> um, of course, we are all 
you know, caring individuals, hopefully, and we say, well, that was a silly thought. Why would I think that? Um, of course, I'm not going to strike that person or, or steal their candy bar or whatever, you know, whatever it is that that little toddler in us might want to do, right? Um, we have that. We have that. There's an area of our brain called the limbic system. Think of it as our little bratty toddler. It wants. It deserves. It's our ego. It's our, you know, it's, it's that emotional place. I want that candy bar, so I'm going to grab it. Or I think that person is attractive. I'm going to grab them and kiss them, whether they want to or not, right? I don't think this way, but some people do, right? Um, the, the jails are full of people that have difficulty um, inhibiting their impulses, right? That might be stealing, that might be violence, that could be sexual assault, um, that could be just, you know, verbally accosting somebody and threatening them, right? When our rational brain would tell us otherwise. So this is the tragedy, right, in some of these cases is there could be darkness lurking in everybody, right? This is where the compassion comes in for the for the criminal in this case, right? This is something that I'm struggling with because I don't approve of what happened and I also love this person. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, it's a difficult one to be, to be stretched and I, and I believe that, that it could have been avoided. So getting into the neurology just a little bit, there are areas of the brain called the amygdala the amygdala is an area that is uh, largely responsible for our feelings of fear and, you know, a threat, right? So if you're being accosted by a group of men in an alley who want to do you harm, your amygdala appropriately fires. That is a scary place to be. It's dangerous. You need to set in motion that whole cascade of, of um, stress physiology events that help save your life potentially, right? Um, that's the appropriate activation of an amygdala. But the amygdala can become plastic over time. It can become overactivated over time. The people that are fearful of everything, right? Possibly something that happened during COVID where, where people were locked in and they became afraid of their neighbors. And that, that was an extended period of time. Uh, I know people that, that still won't go outdoors without a mask on. They, their amygdalas are firing too much. They're afraid, truly afraid. Um, I do consider that, and my apologies to anybody who does this, but I do consider that a form of mental emotional illness. You know, we're outdoors in the fresh air. There, it, it's it's not appropriate to wear a mask. You know, um, it keeps that feeling of I'm I'm in threat going, right? If you want to be in close quarters with somebody, maybe that's an appropriate time, but the literature is very clear on this. You know, we don't get the flu even. We don't get things like that in fresh airs outside in the sunlight, walking by yourself, or in the middle of your car with the windows shut, you know, you don't get things from the outside. It's an amygdala-based concept. So this can easily happen, right? You need to balance this with the activity of the frontal lobe of our brain, um, more specifically and generally speaking, the prefrontal cortex, which is kind of an area of the frontal lobe. That is where a lot of our rationale comes from a lot of our dampening yes i love that candy bar it's my favorite one no i'm not going to grab that that is totally socially unacceptable right you know you can don't even have these things in your thoughts they just run in the background right they in, in a normally healthily functioning brain 
right? But if your amygdala is firing and you can't dampen it with your prefrontal cortex activity, you become a concern for yourself and others, right? All of a sudden now, you can't see your partner as somebody who loves and cares for you. You only see them as somebody who is a threat to you and is trying to control you and should therefore be punished or, you know, or you're going to fight them for this. Um, so what, you know, what can we do? If there was a, a, an injury to that prefrontal cortex, um, rationale goes out the window real fast. We see this a lot with uh, brain injury in the military personnel. You know, a lot of our soldiers come home with traumatic brain injury from explosions, right? And they have rage issues oftentimes. And they have, it's not just what they saw in, in war, which is horrific. Um, it's how they dampen their emotions around things that happen to them in their normal life now. That's a piece of it. Um, the the post-traumatic stress disorder is, is possibly lurking in the background, firing the amygdala, right? They hear a loud noise, amygdala fires, they can't dampen it with their prefrontal cortex. They feel like they're in danger and under threat. They respond appropriately, right? In their own mind, appropriately. It doesn't matter that it's a little old person, right? They might scream at that person um, inappropriately. So what can we do? What can we do? I'm sure you can hear the tone in my voice. I'm I'm fired up. I'm I'm emotional about this. This isn't you know this happens. This is real life. Okay. Um, I wouldn't expect this. I did not expect this. And uh, now I've got a friend in 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 trouble, right? And he did it to himself. So, what can we do? I don't know about what we can do for this person. I don't know if there's anything we can do at this point. But what can we do for somebody who has a history, especially a recent history, of head trauma? All right, It happens. It doesn't take a lot. For example, if, if you had a history of head trauma in the past, maybe a car accident, you lost consciousness, a bicycle accident, maybe you were a fighter and you just took a lot of hits to the head, got knocked out, um, you are primed. You have M1 primed microglia. You are at a risk for continued brain injury over time, even with very small knocks. So, you know, if you ever bonk your head and you're feeling like, whoa, I kind of got dizzy for a second, I, I saw stars, um, heaven forbid you actually lost consciousness, um, do not take that lightly, okay? Because as brains work is one cell dies, it's attached to 10 others. And then if that one dies, then the 10 other are gonna die. And pretty soon, you have, you know, over time, you have this exponential expanding, you know, pathway of death and destruction. And that dictates psychology. <laughs> that dictates our behavior in a lot of ways. Um, what can we do? Okay. Step one. We have to get that person sleeping. If they're not sleeping for any reason, then we do what it takes to get them to sleep. We can do natural things, valerian root, you know, magnesium threonate perhaps. Um, some people take GABA or GABA supportive formulas. Um, whatever it takes, um, you know, L-theanine is a good one from, you know, like a chamomile tea, but in concentrated form. Uh, there's a handful. 
Valerian's a big one though. That might be one that can kind of help. You take too much Valerian, you might feel a little dopey the next day. So be careful, but but that might be something that that helps. Um, some people get away with things like Benadryl. I don't know if I really recommend chronic use of Benadryl, but its side effect is drowsiness. And so, you know, some of those nighttime sleep aids have to do with, you know, these antihistamines that just kind of make you drowsy. But sleep is the most important way to, to intervene and help heal. When we sleep, we clean up the dead tissue, we repair ourselves, and the nerves have a chance to rest. An injured nerve is one that um, crashes easily and it does not recover quickly. Okay, so by crashing I mean walking through the day, maybe getting exposed to lights might be enough after about three hours and then the brain is in a fatigue state and whatever that injured area is, falters. That might be the prefrontal cortex telling you to calm yourself down and realize that your partner is lovely and not somebody to be threatened by. Okay. Or it could just mean that like, wow, I'm not balancing myself well now. Right. So maybe it has nothing to do with psychology, but it's just a system functions. And now you feel like you're actually kind of dizzy and it's hard to go about your day. That's a crashed neuron. That's a crashed system in the brain. Sleep is the most important first off. Um, Whatever it takes. If that requires a trip to the medical doctor to get a actual prescription for sleep, then that's what that means. I'm, I'm not above that. We need to do what we have to do. Um, now, number two, the brain really requires a tremendous amount of um, inflammatory support, anti-inflammatory support. Good old-fashioned fish oils. DHA specifically is an omega-3 fatty acid found in fish oils. Take them at high dose. I recommend therapeutic doses of EPA and DHA, the, the components of fish oil that we, we want from them, EPA and DHA to equal roughly 3,000 milligrams per day. It can be higher than that, provided you're not on blood thinners or have you know bleeding issues or anything like that. But um, 3,000 milligrams per day is a lot. Um, a fish oil. Most people don't take nearly that amount, but that's something to get the ball rolling and really reduce inflammation. Um, another could be things like curcumin. Uh, curcumin found is a, is a compound found in turmeric, the, the herb turmeric, and um, you can take curcumin in very high doses, and that's one of the few things known to science that really turn down microglia those chihuahuas. It's like giving them a little <laughs> pacifier so they're, they're calm again and they stop destroying, they stop inflaming the tissue. Um, but curcumin, resveratrol is another um, very, very potent compound. It's one of the compounds we think of from the benefits of red wine, although you cannot drink enough red wine to get a therapeutic dose of resveratrol, so please don't try. You'll be a violent drunk. Um, it, it's found in concentrated forms and supplements and things like that. Um, there's a, there's a handful of them, honestly, um, but we need to just start to get those anti-inflammatory, high antioxidant, um, glutathione, you know, all, as much as you can do. There's actually some literature, too, that shows that um, hormone supplementation, um, even something as simple as DHEA, which is an over-the-counter thing that you can take without a prescription, um, that has been shown to really moderate brain inflammation and progesterone of all things interesting um, it's not really appropriate necessarily in, in a mainstream sense to to give somebody progesterone which is a typically a female hormone um, but the literature has shown that man male or female um, progesterone supplementation immediately following brain injury has a significant benefits for the outcome of that injury 
Um, that's a tall order, but I wanted to mention it because that's in the literature. It's published medical literature. I don't have that ability to um, prescribe. If I did, um, I would. You know, if it's if you're a woman and you're taking a bunch of progesterone after a head injury, it's going to mess up your cycle. It will do that, but that's okay because your cycle is much secondary to a brain injury. Um, so you do what you can. But in the meantime, sleep and you know fish oils at high dose and curcumin at high dose and resveratrol and glutathione. If you're doing those things, you're doing quite a lot. You really are doing quite a lot. Um, if you are already in a psychotic state. If, if the injury and, the, and the, the health of the brain has progressed to such a level that you are in a, a psychosis, you likely need the help of a psychiatrist. You might you probably need um, some form of at least temporary medical intervention. Okay, this is not a time for a functional approach only. This is a time of we need all hands on deck. We need to save this person's life. And, and potentially the lives of people around them if they've become dangerous. Uh, that takes a lot of buy-in from the patient, and that takes a lot of buy-in from the system. And um, sadly, we don't see that a lot. Mental health is one of those areas that is, um, I don't want to say, but grossly mismanaged in my opinion. Um, medicating them is oftentimes important, but it's not the whole thing. It's not getting that brain rehabilitated to the point where they might not need those strong drugs anymore. It's certainly not saving tissue in the brain. And we need to turn down those microglia. Right? Somebody who has just come out of a you know year or two year long metabolic wasting condition that they thought they were dying and they were losing weight and not sleeping, and then having a series of head injuries needs not just pharmaceutical intervention, but they need brain rehabilitation. They need possibly neurofeedback, which is a, a very powerful way of helping the brain um, strengthen various pathways. They can, it's kind of a, they hook you up to a machine, they, they um, run you through a system and they can tell what pathways are weak and there are methods to start to strengthen those pathways. And you strengthen the prefrontal cortex and then you end up having more control over yourself. That's just one example. Or if you're a depressed person, you might activate areas of the brain that light up that, that part of your life, right? So something like neurofeedback could be a, a wonderful intervention for somebody going through brain injury and or just psychological, um, mental, emotional imbalance. You can find these people. Um, it's not cheap and it requires usually a, a lengthy series of work, but hey, if, if we're saving lives, then we do that. Um, you know, acupuncture, massage therapy, you know, chiropractic, aromatherapy, whatever works for that person, whatever helps calm them down, whatever helps calm the spirit, that's how we would say it in acupuncture, calms the shen. We have a shen disturbance. Shen is our spirit. My friend's shen was terribly disturbed for reasons I just mentioned. And Anything that could help smooth that out can save lives, can save his life. So we have to, all hands on deck, right? We need to get it all going. Um, sadly, that takes buy-in from the person who's going through it, and that's not always possible. Um, I think I want to leave it at that. Um, 
sorry for my tone today, but as as you have gathered through my series so far, um, there's fun topics and there's not so fun topics. And um, today I'm I'm showing you the side of me that is touched and um, and saddened by what happened, and I hope for the best for everybody involved. And uh, I wish that there was ways for us to intervene sooner. He's a good example of somebody who didn't get the help. And um, I'm not sure how he would have, but, but he didn't get it. And um, there's a lot of us out there like that. There's a lot of people out there that need the help. And however that gets started, how, that's however it gets started, but it needs to get started. Uh, especially coming out of what we just came out of over the past several years. Mental health right now is a crisis, especially among our teenagers, and, um, and they do need our help. So thank you so much for your time and attention, and um, I do want to recognize any of you or all of you that have had mental health issues in your own life or in people that you know. It's, um, it's not like a broken arm. It's, it's different. It's not like even having diabetes, you know, it's um, something special about the mental, emotional, psychological illnesses that kind of hits different. Um, it, it's not easy. So thank you so much for your time and attention. And um, I do hope this was insightful for you. And until the next time, my name is Dr. Jim Chaltis, and this is A Functional Approach. Bye-bye.